everybody? How are we doing? Good? Man, the Christmas season is just filled with wonder, and that's what I love about this season is there are so many wonderful things to remember about who God is and what He has done for us. And one of the days we do that, or one of the ways we do that, is by remembering Advent. So this morning is week two of Advent, and today we are looking at the Bethlehem candle, okay? The Bethlehem candle. We're going to light that this morning. So if you're at home this morning and you have your Advent wreath and your Advent candles, go ahead and light week one again. And then this morning we're going to light, here it is, the Bethlehem candle. And Bethlehem actually means house of bread, which is very interesting because Jesus is called the bread of life, right? But one of the other interesting things about Bethlehem is that it's considered one of the smallest towns or villages at the time. Probably under 50 people lived in Bethlehem. Very, very tiny, tiny village. And the fact that God would choose Bethlehem out of all the different places he could have chosen for Jesus to come is remarkable. I mean, who thinks like God, right? But why wouldn't God have chosen Jerusalem where the temple was, right? But no, he chose Bethlehem. And there's a lot of prophetic reasons for that. You know, King David, that was his town as well. Um, but uh, this is Bethlehem Sunday, and God chose it, and it was a very, very small village. So we're going to talk about the wonder of small things today. So why don't we take a moment and read this passage right here. Here it comes. Micah 5.2. This is the prophecy that was given about Bethlehem 700 years before it actually happened. Let's read it together. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. So again, the beauty uh, and one of the things that that we wonder about this Christmas season is that God chooses to use the small things. And so I want to talk with you about that this morning because it's true of our lives as well. Now, if you're like me, I like big things, right? I like big meals. I like big parties. I like big stuff. Uh, bigger the better for me. Uh, but and, and I think that's the way we are oftentimes. But God is not that way. Although God celebrates the big things like the universe and the world and heaven and all those amazing big things, God is also the God of small wonders, and he celebrates the small wonders. Let's think about this for a second. Over and over, we see him pick the small. He picked David, who was the youngest and the smallest of all the brothers, and anointed him king of Israel, by the way that happened in Bethlehem. Um, He used a small boy and his sack lunch to feed thousands of people. God loves the small things. He loves to use the small things. And he chose to enter our world. And this is what I want us to remember today and for this season. He chose to enter our world as the smallest and most vulnerable person you can be. And that is a newborn baby. Right? So God loves to use the small. And when you think about Jesus when he was born, remember that God packed this little infant full of his own potential. Full of his own glory. And Jesus certainly grew into that glory, but, but it was there from the beginning. He was always fully God and always fully man. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, it's a great couple of verses that talk about this. It says, Christ, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. This is one of the mysteries of God and of Jesus, that Jesus existed with the Trinity before he ever came in human form. 
So we need to remember that. So he was fully God, eternal God. For through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realm and on earth. He made the things we can see, and he made the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Those were all created through Christ Jesus. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds everything together. So as we think about Jesus and the wonder of small things at this Christmas season, remember that although he was small, God had packed him full of his invisible qualities. Jesus Christ, fully human and yet fully God. A remarkable mystery. One of the things we wonder about, right, when we think about Jesus. He was the creator of all things, um, and he holds all things together. This is the small wonder of Jesus that we celebrate this Christmas season. It reminds me of this trailer hitch. I know you're going to say, how do you go from Jesus to trailer hitch? (laughs) This trailer hitch serves a purpose, right? It holds things together, right? It holds a truck to a trailer. This is the hitch off my very own truck, and it sits in the hitch, um, you know, all the time. I rack my shins on it all the time, and so that's how I know it's there. Um, But this is a trailer hitch, and last week... Uh, I hooked up to the church trailer. We've got the horse trailer. And I had to go to Bellingham and get some really, really heavy stuff for the house build that I'm doing. And so I, 7 o'clock in the morning, I pull in and we load it up. And because I'm lazy, I didn't want to walk the extra three feet that you should walk to get to the front of the trailer to get it even load. Now, keep in mind, I've used this trailer hitch over the last 17 years, many, many times, okay? I have moved people. It's been a fully loaded trailer. And I've used this hitch, and it's been, it's been great till now. And so I go and I load up, and we load it up at the back of the trailer. Now, Dusty, you know this is not a good idea, don't you? We load up the back of the trailer, and I get in the truck, and I start the engine, and I start to pull away from the warehouse, and a guy comes running out, waving his arm, stop, stop. So I hit the brakes, and there comes the hitch through my tailgate, and it looked like this. This. (laughs) Tailgate. All right. Well, anyway, it was bad. There it is. There it is. So tailgate, right? And so I stopped, obviously, and I get out, and the guy comes over. I'd never met this guy before. It's so embarrassing to be a man and have this happen to you. So he comes over, and he goes, oh, what size ball you have on there? I said, I don't know. It's a ball. And he looks at it. He goes, oh, it's one and seven-eighths. He goes, that's a one and or two and five-sixteenths hitch. Um, and he goes, you've got the wrong size ball. I said, oh. So anyway... End of the story is they go and and they get the forklift and they come out. They have to fork up the back of the trailer to get the hitch out of my tailgate. And then we reloaded it. And he said, hey, I've never met this guy before. He goes, hey, I've got a hitch on my truck. I'll let you borrow it. Just bring it back tomorrow. I thought, you're an angel. Who does that, right? What man gives away his his hitch? No man does that. But he did. And so I used it, got my stuff home, and brought it back in the morning. And I've never seen the guy again. It's just a crazy thing. So my point is this, that that we are hitched by something to God. And this is it. This Jesus Christ is the one who hitches us to our Heavenly Father. And we must remember, we must remember to keep him in the middle of our relationship with Christ or with God. And so we want to talk about that a little bit this morning. God packs his powerful attributes into Jesus. And it's Jesus who keeps us hitched to the Father. And so I want to remind you today that God loves the small things. And this is just a tiny little ball. 
And yet it has the capability to keep a truck and a trailer hitched together, if you, if you have the right size, and keeps you on the road, right? The guy said to me, I'm so glad you didn't make it over to the Hannigan and go 50 miles an hour and then come unhitched. That would have been a bad day for you. Um, so God loves the small things. Now, here's another picture. This is a picture of me when I was a zygote. Um, now, you've all been a zygote, so don't judge me here. But that's me when I was a zygote. That's actually not the actual me. But here's what I want to say about this. It's a small thing, right? This is how we start. Every one of us started as a zygote. And what you may not know about this zygote is that this zygote comes, you came fully encoded with who you would turn out to be. Life experience aside, you came fully encoded in your DNA with with how you were going to be. I am who I am today physiologically because God encoded me to be this way, even when I was that tiny. Over 3 billion base pairs of DNA are in this little zygote. We are fully ready to grow into the person that we are going to become. And then I began to grow, and I grew into a human cell. Now, the human cell is just amazing. Tiny, tiny, tiny. You can't see it with your eye. But I just want to remind you today how glorious we are as a creation of God. I want to remind you today that God took such care in designing you and creating you and that we should never despise small beginnings. We should never despise the glory of of the baby that is just, you know, one day old as a cell, as a zygote. Never despise those beginnings. So the estimate for the number of cells, let's go to the next slide, in the human body range between 10 trillion and 100 trillion of these cells. This is just the very outside edge of a cell. You don't even see the nucleus. Actually, this reminds me of what Lyndon looked like last night from a satellite view. <laughs> I was there. Um, but 10 to 100 trillion of these cells are in your body. That's the estimate. And according to people that are a lot smarter than me, because I didn't get that gene, um, this is the equation uh, that estimates the amount of data. Equation. Next slide. There you go. That estimates the amount of data that you have in yourself. And I don't know about these numbers, but this is a tremendous amount of data. Like, this would take tons of computers to uh, accommodate this, and yet this is what is inside of you. This information in these cells is what you hold. 23 pairs of chromosomes in each cell, which continue to encode you as you grow from a zygote uh, to a full-grown human being. Just remarkable. I want you to remember this. One researcher that I read about this week said it like this. He said, the immense complexity you are seeing in this cell is just one tiny part of a truly incredible machine of machines, a system of systems. It shows only the outer edge of the nucleus, which makes it difficult to fully appreciate the dynamic 3D structure of the genome as it functionally self-organizes. So when you look at one another, can I have the cell back? When you look at one another, remember that you are full of these. Every single one of us, trillions of these are in our body, each one holding tremendous amounts of information. And you know where there's information, there's intelligence, right? And this is why most apologists, this is the argument they use when they're arguing for intelligent design, they're arguing for a creator, it's that information has to come from somewhere. You don't just start out with information. Information has to be given from somebody who knows the information. And we are filled with 
information, not just contact, content, not just data. We're filled with information. So remember when you look at one another, that this is who you are from conception. And this is important uh, to be a pro-life person, as I am. Uh, the reason I'm pro-life is because I know that from the very first, as a zygote, you are filled with all the information that will ever be in you, in your DNA, to make you grow into the person that you are. So you're a complete person. It's just that your body hasn't grown yet. Does that make sense? So that's how I view um, uh, pro-life and why I believe that, that life is valuable and sacred from the very moment of conception. Uh, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1. He said, God chose things in the world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. In other words, what God has designed into us and into the universe and into the world so far surpasses our ability to think and to reason and to understand that it's just, you know, it's just crazy to think of how amazing God is. So as we celebrate Christmas, here's what I want you to remember. Jesus is the God of small things. You know, usually we tell you to think big. Usually we tell you to go after your dreams. This morning I'm going to ask you to think small. I'm going to ask you to think small. I'm going to ask you to remember that God loves small things. And I want to talk with you about three small things in our life today. Three things that we can do that actually really um, provide or, or bring about amazing growth in our lives. Uh, brings about amazing things in our relationships. Three things. You ready? These are very powerful and very practical. Here they are. These are the small things that God cares about in our lives. Number one. God uses the wonder of small words. God uses the wonder of small words. Words have incredible power. Somebody said, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Words have remarkable power. They have the power to speak a world into existence. That's what God did. He spoke a world into existence. God said, let there be, and there was. And then God looked over what he had created and he said three more words. He said, it is good. Let there be, and there was. And then God said, it is good. He created our worlds through the power of the spoken word. And so to God, words are meaningful and words are powerful. And God has given us the power to call forth the best from every person in our life. To speak words that, that bring value and that bring beauty to people's lives that make us the best possible person we can be. God has given us that power to encourage one another to greatness. And so the power of words is very, very important. Proverbs 25:11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. In other words, precious words that you speak to one another, words of encouragement or words of exhortation are like a valuable piece of jewelry that you would wear that, that enhances the beauty of the wearer. This is what words mean in our lives. They have the power to bring out the best from us. Now, I like to call these words the power of three. Just like God said, let there be, I like to say that we have the power of three in our words. And here's some examples. The power of threes, I forgive you. What a powerful statement of three words. I love you. How powerful is that? Or if you can't say that, how about I like you, right? If you can't say I love you, how about 
I like you. Or how about I miss you when you haven't seen somebody for a while. How about I miss you? I say that all the time to people. How about I respect you? And if you can't love or can't like somebody, how about I accept you? I accept you. You're a brother in Christ. You're a sister in Christ. I accept you. Or here is a very, very powerful one that we say when we get married. I choose you. I choose you to spend the rest of my life with. Uh, There's a movie that I really enjoyed several years ago. It's called The Help. And if you remember, there was a scene in this movie where uh, this lady speaks words of encouragement into this little girl who is uh, in the family and holds her on her lap. And let's read these together this morning if you can see them. Here they are. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. What was this lady doing? She was calling forth what she saw in this little girl. She was speaking those words of encouragement over her. She was bringing a sense of value and, and preciousness to this little girl's life who desperately needed it at the time. Now, at the same time, a word spoken in anger can do great damage. You know, just like um, I had the wrong size ball on this hitch and it did some damage to my truck, right? Um, angry words are like the wrong size ball. Angry words are like the wrong size ball. Angry words are a ball too small. And so if you're using angry words in your life, you need to recognize that and you need to, to, to put the right size ball on your hitch that has hitched you to family or hitched you to relationship or hitched you to friendship. And you have to begin to use the right size ball so that you will not have relationships that become disconnected. Because that's what will happen. Uh, you know, the trailer will pop off the ball and your relationships will become disconnected. James said it like this in James 3. He said, Among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. So angry words, frustrated words, words said, you know, while you're feeling that frustration and your child or your spouse can feel the energy behind those words. It's not even so much the words as it is the energy behind the words. And they know that you're angry and they know that you're frustrated. And when you use words like that, when you're feeling like that, what it does is it says to somebody, there is something wrong with you. That's what they hear. I know because I've heard them. There is something wrong with you. And so that's what anger communicates when we use words while we're angry. So God uses the wonder of small words. And God wants, I believe, this Christmas season... He wants for us to investigate the power of our words and to listen to how we sound and to begin to, if we need to, put on the the bigger ball of good words in our life so that our relationships and our friendships and our marriage can stay connected and can be strong. Uh, Number two, God uses the wonder of small works. God uses the wonder of small works. He uses small words and he uses small works. I like to say small works with the right heart produce big things. Small works. It doesn't matter how big the work is that you do, how big the act of service is that you do, but small works with the right heart produce big things. We see this over and over in Scripture, even in Zechariah chapter 4. He says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. What does the Lord rejoice in? 
Seeing the work begin. God loves it when we actually step out and get started on an act of service or on a ministry or on something that brings, you know, help and hope to people. It doesn't matter how big it is. God loves to see the work begin. He loves to see the plumb line in your hand. He loves to see you align your life to his heart and begin to provide works. So small works, small works is the perfect size for the ball on the trailer hitch. Small works is that two and five sixteenths that you're looking for. It's not the one and seven eighths. Small works is the two and five sixteenths. Now, Steve talked last week about the boat on the lake. Remember that illustration? It was so great. I had to bring it up again. The boat on the lake and how when you drop a boat in the lake, it leaves a wake, doesn't it? When you go across the lake, you leave a wake that impacts people. And the same is true with any kind of small work that you do in your life. But what I want to say to you today is it doesn't have to be a big wake for it to, to have power. You can leave a little ripple. Uh, a lady came up to me after the first service and said, I was driving by Wiser Lake this morning and I saw the ducks swimming and they were leaving this little tiny ripple, this little tiny wake. And what I want to say to you about that is that the smallest wake can still touch another person's life. It doesn't have to be a big work. It can be a very small work that you give in faith. Now, this week I sent out the updated wish list on Thursday. Thank you, everybody who's already responding by buying a bag of rice or buying a chicken or buying a Bible for somebody. And I want to call that a small work this morning. Again, a bag of rice, 10 bucks. You know, what's that worth to us? But a bag of rice keeps a child alive for a couple of months. And this very child in 10 years may be a pastor of a small village or an unreached people group. And that's the kind of thing that God can do with a small work. Here's a picture of Michael and Ashish. Michael, who's on the right here, Michael is one of our pastors in the LGN. Ashish is a young man that Michael adopted when he was, he was orphaned. And he was a very young boy. And, and Michael, by the way, takes in, has about six to eight orphans in his home all the time. All the time. He has new orphans in his home. Some of them stay a long time. So Ashish stayed 12 years in Michael's care and learned how to be a man and learned how to work. And now he's gone back to his village. He's built a four-room house and he has begun farming to make his way for himself. But because Ashish has been influenced by Michael, who's a pastor, Ashish may obviously become, may someday become a man who impacts his entire village with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's a young man who might have received a bag of rice or at least eaten from a bag of rice that one of you sent or one of you will send uh, for $10. And again, you got to understand, it's not the big works that God is looking for. Most of us will never start gigantic ministries or, or you know, be a missionary around the world. But we can all do a small thing. And God does great things with small things. If you go back a couple of verses in Zechariah 4, verse 6, it says, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength. In other words, it's not by how hard you can work or how big a thing you can do, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I want to remind you today that the smallest thing that you do or the smallest thing that you give can become big in the Lord's hands as the Spirit of God comes alongside it and does what He wants with what you give or what you do. It's all through the Scriptures. Luke 16, Jesus said, The one who's faithful in a little thing is also faithful in much. Jesus loves and honors uh, the small giving, the small doing. Luke chapter 21, you guys know this story. 
Jesus was hanging out with his disciples at the temple and, and they see all these people that are putting in big gifts in the offering box. And then here comes this little widow lady. She comes up and she reaches into her pocket and pulls out uh, presumably a couple of cents, a couple of mites, widow's mites. And she puts them in the box. And, and I can imagine the disciples were kind of elbowing each other and, and maybe even making fun of this little old lady. And Jesus, and the reason I think that is because of what Jesus says. He says, truly. In other words, there must have been something being said for Jesus to say, truly. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those rich people. Now, don't get me wrong. We love the gifts from the rich people as well, right? We love everything that God can use in his kingdom. But Jesus' point was this, that they gave out of their abundance, but this little old widow lady gave out of her poverty. She put in all that she had to live on. And the point is, is not for you to give all that you have to live on. The point is that God honors the small gift. And God can use the small gift. So it's not how much you have to give, but really it's how you give it. That counts. It's the heart behind the gift that really matters. It brings me to number three, our last point today. God uses our words, God uses our works, and God also uses the wonder of small worship. Small worship. What do I mean by that? I mean that you don't have to be, uh, you know, a famous singer. You don't have to be a famous uh, guitar player like Joel. You don't have to be, you know, uh, the biggest and best singer or worshiper. And I know that that uh, that our whole life is a life of worship, okay? I get that. But what I'm saying is this, that when it comes to worship, God loves the small. Whether it's a song, whether it's in the shower, whether it's in the car, whether it's an act of service, whatever it is, God loves anything you give Him in His name for His glory. Worship does something for us. Uh, Without worship, our lives become detached from God. And that, that's been the challenge of this pandemic, right? Is that we found ourselves alone. But even when we're alone, we can still worship and we can still stay connected to God. And that's what worship does. Worship keeps us connected to Jesus. And Jesus keeps us connected to the Father. Worship keeps us connected to Jesus. And Jesus keeps us connected to the Father. Does that make sense? So as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ... It does something in us that keeps us connected to the Father and to his love for us. Now, I started off as a drummer in middle school band. Anybody remember middle school band, how horrid it was? Yeah, I mean, they come to your classroom in the, what, fifth grade or whatever, and they show you all the instruments, and then you have to pick one. And I wanted to play the saxophone. I thought that would be cool to play the saxophone. I wanted to play the saxophone. I told my mom and dad, and they said, "Uh, we can't afford to rent a saxophone because we rented back in the day. And they said, you can play the drum. Now, we had a drum because my oldest brother, or second oldest brother, and next brother both played the drum. So we had a drum. So I inherited the snare drum, and I played the drum when I started out. And I didn't really love it, so I moved on to guitar and piano and stuff. But at the time, I remember one of my favorite songs, maybe I identified with him, was The Little Drummer Boy, right? One of my favorite carols. Uh, Oddly enough, that's one of the, the least liked carols of all the carols around the world. So what that says about me, I don't know. But I love the song. And I think it was because the song spoke to the heart of a little boy who wanted to, you know, bring something to Jesus. And I was that boy. I I loved Jesus. And I wanted to bring him something. 
And I think like the little drummer boy, I wasn't sure what I had to bring. And so you know the story. The little drummer boy approaches Jesus, and, and for years I thought this was in the Bible. It's not actually in the Bible. I thought, where's the little drummer boy, you know? He should be in there. But So he approaches Jesus, and then he says these words, little baby, I am a poor boy too. I have a gift to bring that's fit to give a king. Shall I play for you on my drum? And that line is hauntingly beautiful to me. Shall I play for you on my drum? It's like he's asking himself, is what I have to offer worthwhile of your lordship, of your kingship, of your majesty? And he gets the answer from from Mary, right? And Mary nodded. And the ox and the lamb kept time. And so I played my drum for him. And I played my best for him. And then he smiled at me. Me and my drum. You know, and I think that that probably a great question for us to ask ourselves this morning is, what is my drum? What is my drum? And shall I play it for him? What is my drum? And, and is it worthy to play before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And the answer to that question is, yes, always it is worthy. The smallest thing, the smallest act of service, the smallest gift is always worthy of the King when you give it with a heart to love Jesus. It's a beautiful thing to, like the drummer, little drummer boy, to bring what you have and to offer it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your drum? You know, Jesus was the greatest drummer, if you will, of all time. And he, he brought his drum and he played his drum the way the Father had told him to play. And he gave it all for us as he played for us the tune of salvation, the tune of death, the tune of resurrection. He played for us on his drum and he gave it all for us. And I think, I think what we want to rediscover this Christmas season is, okay, Jesus, you played it all for me. What can I play for you? What can I play for you? And I know that it falls under the, the category of, of loving God and loving others. It's always, that's always the, the definition of our, our playing for Him. Loving God and loving others. God, what can I do? Maybe this morning, maybe it's just singing a little louder. I don't know what it is for you. But we're going to spend the next couple of minutes. We're going to take communion together. So church online, church at home, make sure you get your bread and your juice ready and you here as well. And to do this this morning, what I want you to do is open up your bread. It's the top little layer, okay? And I want you to hold your bread in your hands this morning. Just stay seated. Do this at home as well. Hold your bread in your hands. And then what I want you to do is as the worship team leads you in this song, it's a beautiful song that speaks to to what Jesus deserves from us. And so hold your bread in your hand and sing the song to him. And here's the key to small acts of worship. Here's the key. The key is your heart. The key is getting in touch with your heart, holding the bread, the body of Christ in your hand, and communicating to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as we get ready to receive his body, communicating to him your small act of worship.
And God will honor that this morning. So let's worship him together.